Welcome back to the Southern Fried Humanitarian, the show where your two hosts are humanitarian workers from the South living in the North. We explore the cultural differences in our regionality, environment, and across the world. Let's get cracking, dude. How you doing, man? Not too bad, man. My name is Prejean. Oh. So, Prey, good to see you there. Good to see you too, Sam. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, we're crackling here today, man. You know, so, <clears throat> yeah, today we're going to talk about, like, World Refugee Day, and I was thinking, like... I had never, I, okay, personally, prior to working at the place we work at now, I n- literally never heard of it. You know, me neither before I hasn't gone to humanitarian work, I've never heard of that, or like, technically even attended an event, because by the time I was going to attend World Refugee Day, COVID happened, and so, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of knocked that out. But, I think we just looked it up earlier today and found out that... World Refugee Day did not start until 2001. Yeah, and before 9-11, like, it was, like, before... It's 2000, whenever you, you, know, you say 2001, everyone's like, oh, 9-11. Yeah. And then... So that's my first thought when I heard that, too. I was like... Wait, oh, wait yeah. what? That's a weird time to start. And honestly, I was about to ask, like, was it before or after? Oh, it was, like, June... It was, well, you know, June 20th. Yeah. So, it was before. So, it was before, you know, like, the war on terror and, like, you know, how that fucked up our perception that may be the reason why we've never even heard of it before this context you know yeah because like the second one in the u.s no one gave a fuck gave a shit it was just like i was like you're brown you're an enemy Mm. it did not matter because uh in fact crazy thing that happened right after uh 9-11 was that in my hometown a local sikh man was shot and killed at his own convenience store and now Mainly because the, and again, this was a white individual that perpetrated this crime. I mean, he was duly arrested because it was just, you know, a heinous attack. He just picked him because he was brown and he thought he was a terrorist. And my thing is, like, he was a Sikh. You just assumed a man who had a turban was just a straight Muslim and a terrorist, therefore. Like... Though, it, it shows me at that time the baffling of ignorance in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of how it is. But, yeah, so, we, yeah, it's crazy. That's ridiculous. Because, like, Sikhs are only in, in or, they're, it's, a, it's a religion localized in India. Basically. So, like, India, like, that's not even, like, that's literally just bra- the, the color brown. Hey, man, I, I'm not the one who decided to do that shit. The man <laughs> saw a brown dude and was like, you know, my racism knows no color. That guy's except a, white. You know, that guy's an equal opportunity probably racist. In jail. I mean, he, he probably is, still is. Like, like, he probably, like, you know, kicked a bucket in jail. Yeah. Again, he was a fairly old man, very racist. Oh, he's just like an old, this is like an old man. This is like a, this is a 75-year-old motherfucker with like his walker. I mean, I feel like he was. Then again, like, he's what, got like a fucking shotgun duct tape to the fucking walker. Like, what the hell? I mean, it is the South, so I wouldn't be surprised. Hell yeah, brother. Like, an old woman would be like, you'd be, you'd try to be like, oh, man, do you need help across the street? She'd be like, get back over there, sonny. I got my gat on you. <laughs> It's like, okay, a, ma'am. Yeah. I have a 12 gauge shotgun. And they got the fucking tennis balls, but they're like, I don't know, like fucking grenades. <laughs> I was thinking like pea shooters. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, fuck it around. It's like, wanna try this, honey? Wanna try Chocolate. Chocolate. But yeah, no, so yeah, you know, the Southern Fried Humanitarian. So we are from the South and. We're humanitarian workers, so we're gonna. So like, let's uh. So you know, you're from you're from NC. I'm from Louisiana, and like, people have this like idea of the South as like a monolith. It's like it's really not. It it truly isn't, and it just kind of goes to show to you like, as well. Like you know, you gotta have this overarching to the thesis of like you know humanitarian work and being mm-hmm. you know, uh, of exploring different culturalities. Is that not everyone from a region is quite the same? Like. Just now, we were observing outside, and for those folks that are listening in, I know we're releasing this on June 20th on World Refugee Day, but, you know, right now it's Sunday, uh, June, Juneteenth, and also Father's Day. Shout out to all the fathers out there. Mm-hmm. But we were just looking out the window and saw, like, you know, what I like to further call fireflies, because, you know, they're, they glow in the dark, and they fly. And Sam has a different 
name for them, which is Lightning Bugs. Like, which... look, first of all, first of all, there's that stupid song by Owl City. I like to make myself believe. That song but sucks. Who cares about like Lightning Bugs? Just sound like terrible. Like they don't say ka-chow. Lightning was this cars like come on dude? Oh, but you call them lightning bugs. So I gotta be literally. I'd never seen them until like I moved here. They don't have in Louisiana. No, they don't. What? I know that was like a constant summer thing for me. No, I ain't never seen them. I thought you just got fireflies. It's just too damn. <laughs> it's too damn bugs. hot for these things. You're... I thought like it being hot was a prerequisite to have these things. Nah, it's so funny, dude. Like how people in the north like will will be complaining about the heat of the summer, like. Bro, y'all don't know anything. Like, I can get in the city because the city can be, like... Not, eh, kind of. Because you got a bunch of, like, concrete and windows just amplifying heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and there's a lot more light pollution at night, so... Yeah, yeah, but, like, if you're up north and not, like, a very dense populated city, mm-hmm. like, for me, where I was at, it was, like... It wasn't, like, it was a city in terms of, like, metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, like, you know, you're not thinking New York or even D.C. type mm-hmm. of caliber. But even then, like, humidity was just terrible. Yeah, the humidity in, in Louisiana, the humidity is the worst. Like, it's us and, like, oh, there's a, an ambulance, it's cop cars. I wonder what happened. Anyway, uh, yeah, so in Louisiana, it's like the humidity is worse than anything else. Uh, and the heat's bad, too. Like, I remember my, like, that was, like, like, a day like today, it's, like, perfect. You know, it's, like, 70 degrees today. Like, I remember in Louisiana, it's, like, it'd be, like, what? It'd be 98 degrees outside with 98% humidity, and my dad would be, like, go cut the grass. I'm, like, it's 2 o'clock. So like, oh, do it. <laughs> and you're dying outside in the heat. And let's not forget, like, especially when it comes to, like, different difference in, like, regionality. Mm-hmm. Like, that heat is different like oh the heat hits different for real like and honestly that kind of goes to show like because i was this was a, a reading from way back when and it was just talking about like how you know there you can basically group people more not on geographical but more on tropological lines mm. because like it especially because uh, it was in terms of like when you look at um, like watersheds not even watersheds this is looking at like uh, Africa, like after decolonization, because mm. you know how arbitrary the borders were drawn, they decided to get groups that were basically not only like geographically like isolated, mm-hmm. but tropologically. Like the reason why a lot of these groups were, you know, kind of like fighting between each other was because like was more based on tropicality. You have people from Sub-Saharan Africa, you know, where it's a lot hotter and you know less humid. Mm-hmm. And you have Sub-Saharan Africa where it was a little more tropical, a lot more water access. So, like, it's a difference in, like, how they treat water access. You know, people who are in a desert environment know how to adapt their water usages. Uh, so, and, like, the cultures revolve around that. Mm-hmm. While people in more, like, water, like, tropical areas have different views on water and how it should be used. So, like, that's what was kind of very interesting to me is, like, just regionality and tropicology. Like, Places in the South. If you like, there's a reason why Florida is crazy as it is. <laughs> this is how I'm making a full circle. Like, Florida is crazy because tropologically, it's different from the rest of the South. Like, Florida is different, man. Like, like but Florida's like also Louisiana's like weird. Or, okay, if the United States is a high school, Louisiana and Florida are like smoking cigs in the back and like at the back of the classroom and calling the teacher a bitch. Like, that's what they're doing. Now, I feel like if this was a high school. I thought North Carolina's the one that's smoking cigs in the back while, like, Alabama and, like, Florida are just outside smoking meth. No, no, Alabama, like, like, people, people be, you're giving Alabama too much crazy credit, man. Like, Florida is, Florida's a different kind of crazy, but, like, you know, look, it's humid as hell, alligators, you know, on the Gulf. Florida people. People from Florida, you know. They got the Florida men and women. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Florida non-binaries. The Florida, you never hear those stories, though. The ones that actually, like, have sense. Oh, I thought you meant, like, they make, they, it's like, it's like. what do you mean those stories make sense? Like, oh, no, the people are making like, sense. Like the, like, the, like, the non-binary people make more sense than the Florida men and women. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. it's like, I've never heard of a Florida non-binary person do this crime. Well, thanks to Governor DeSantis, you never will. 
talk to you. So, what are some other cool like differences you notice about North Carolina and Louisiana? Honestly, it's more so of how have moments of having country accents. Yeah, mine all mine like will very much like come out. Like I'll code switch around. Like if I'm around like other people from the south, it'll just come out. Like when I'm talking to my mom, I like say, "Do you hear that one?" Uh, yeah, and that's another thing about like code switching too, uh, is how I feel like that was more important growing up, mm-hmm. especially like when you have different like people from different like regions, areas, and like. Uh, backgrounds, especially when you're in the South, because you have, like, you know, a lot of friends from, who are black, some friends who are white, and, like, you know, you got to navigate life through different vocal lenses. So, you know, you got to have to practice your proper Southern accents, like, yes, ma'am, no, sir. So, and then you also have, like, you know, your formal business or phone voice, like, hi, how are you doing there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Chad. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll get you to that on t- Monday, Mr. Johnson. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. You have a great weekend. Yeah, also, like, there's this perception, and I remember, like, because I, like, actively suppressed my accent growing up, because, like, I grew up around cats who were just, like, who spoke, like, the, the very thick, like, what the hell are you talking about kind of southern accent. Oh, yeah. Like, because I, I thought they just, like, and I remember, like, on TV, like, people just sounded so stupid, like. Yeah, so it has that era of dumb, and that's why, like, I also feel self-conscious when people say, mm-hmm. you know, you have a southern accent, and I'd be like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because it sounds like you're telling me I'm dumb. Dude, yeah, no, because, like, I had. Like, bless your heart, but, like, I'm not. <laughs> I had a roommate who was just, like, you know, I moved here, he was like, you have a southern accent. I'm like, no, I don't have a southern accent. It's like, you do. It's like. Like, but for the most part, it sounds pretty normal. It's just that the little twangs come here and there because it's just for mm-hmm. us. The only way we heard that is through our like through those accents. Like mm-hmm. you don't hear, you know, y'all in like a very proper like area. Like my parents learned the Queen's English. There's no such thing as y'all in her vocabulary mm-hmm. or her vernacular. Apparently, yeah, it's very very posh. Very specific. Yes, mom. All right. What do you call this? Vegetable oil. Vegetable oil. Oil. All. I know. It's all. That's what I said. Vegetable oil. No, no joke. Like I know it's all. 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 But like, I make make the conscious effort to say oil. Yeah, it's all. So the whole Baltimore accent thing. We. Oh my god. All. <laughs> I love the Baltimore accent. <laughs> And that's the one thing, too. Love your accents, too. Bruh, I saw this funny video the other day, and it it took me aback, but it also made me proud just to see, you know, people like me out there representing. I heard the Valley Girl accent on a brown girl for the first time, and I'm just like, you know, honestly, it used to be annoying to me, but coming from you, I can tolerate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Yeah. So, like, love oh, yeah. your accents. Don't let that, like... Mm-hmm. define you as as much like it took me a while just to get over the fact that like i may sound southern but like mm-hmm. you know it only comes out in certain instances mm-hmm. uh, we should also like take a, like a moment to like address like who we are in the capacity as humanitarian workers like um i'll start with myself i'm a white man and i'm from the south like so but that's but at the end of the day i am like a white man and you are you know of southeastern descent Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, grew up in the South, you know, second generation, uh, U.S. born child, born and raised, so, uh, you know, I like to be referred to as, uh, a redneck. <laughs> no, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's important, like, as humanitarian workers, we, like... We kind of know what we're, like, dealing with, and especially the clients that are coming in, because just, like, you know, our perception is, like, it could be skewed from theirs. They have a whole different reality or expectation of how mm-hmm. uh the u.s is that's kind of how why we kind of brought this podcast up is because you know we want to share those experiences that they experience and also bring to light the issues they have of you know what we have crafted here in america as a mm-hmm. fantastic like story of come over here your life will change for the better and then like you know we're sugarcoating the actual truth that you know it's pretty difficult yeah, because 
It really is. And so a little like background, uh, we work in employment services. So we are like uh, both... Like in the humanitarian segment and like how I come to know it, there's different functions. So, you know, they escape from uh, the conflict and regionality they're at. And they go into different places where they're basically booked in process to come over to their new resettled country. Now, there's a, the resettlement process where they are just kind of brought over here, we uh, place into permanent housing. We kind of get them like set up with immunizations, what have you. And then, you know, they only have a certain amount of time with that. And then they move on to employment. So mm-hmm. the whole point is just to get them to be able to, you know, take care of themselves. Because, uh, you know, you can't just not work and be able to live off if you have a family, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so there's like, so for the, <clears throat> the uninitiated, there are like, you know, there's, we have different, at our resettlement agency, we have people who work in immigration and like specialize in immigration. People who work in um, financial, or financial like sustainability, and they work in that, kind of like financial coaching for our clients. Yeah. And then we have people in, I guess, like housing, who help people get set up with housing. But then you bring it to us in the employment side. So we kind of are, we're in this like weird sense of like, like we truly are like the most American like segment, segment of, of, of like our resettlement. Like, like, like oh, yeah. the whole humanitarian work is that, you know, you're going to have they a lot of these, you know, cats that come in, they really do want to be a part of that American dream. They have the, you know, the motivation, the skills, and the ability to want to go out there, work hard, mm-hmm. bring home that bacon for their family. If they're not bacon, maybe turkey bacon or faux bacon. Yeah, you got to be like halal, our, our Muslim you know, clients. You know, you got to be halal for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and kosher for our, like, Jewish folks out there, too, and also in other denominations who do not consume meat or anything like that. Or for, or yeah, I guess, yeah. You got to bring home... You gotta be all encompassing here, but you get my point. You gotta bring food to your family at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of people want. They just want that ability to have that security again, to provide for their families, just to have that life. You know, I think my old um, resettlement like ex- uh, executive director said it best. He said that humanitarian work, you know, is giving them the chance to have a human life. Mm-hmm. And not a human life, a life, a decent, a life of decency, that they're just able to live, provide for their family, and just like not have to avoid anything. Yeah, you get to enjoy your rights as a human being. Yeah, like they just want to live with decency and bring, give, and be looked at as human again. Because mm-hmm. before, when you're viewed as a refugee, you're just viewed as a refugee. Mm-hmm you're not viewed as a person who has just lost everything. And so I think a lot of times our segment brings them back to that reality of, like, they are a person they're able to bring and provide for their family. But, you know, it's also just, you know, a lot of these, a lot of times uh, we do come across a lot of difficult clients who don't have a lot of education or, you know, a lot of formal work. Look at a lot of... uh women in very patriarchal societies. Mm. They weren't ever allowed to have, you know, formal, like, experience and, or work experience. So it's, you had to deal with those difficulties. Mm-hmm. And those are, like, barriers to, like, employment that we, that we, in our jobs, like, we work to actively break down, yeah. you know? And a lot of other, you know, humanitarian works that, workers that, you know, also deal with employment understand, like, you know, those situations are pretty difficult because, you know, Especially if they have children. You know, kids cost a lot of money. Yeah, especially in this country. And, you know, you also talk to these people. And I was talking with our uh, our supervisor recently about, like, this... There are these, like, cultural ideas of, like, not only, like, women working, or but, like, also, like, people just, like, working in general. Like, you know, here we live... We live to work, you know, like that's the ideal American dream is like, it's like you live, you, you wake up and you go work and then everything else is secondary. Yeah. Like it's, and this is kind of crazy to me because I also think about this too, like 
the like aspect of working is so ingrained to us. Like mm-hmm. you know how everyone says, for you to have a good like good good life, here you gotta go to school, go to college, mm-hmm. graduate with a degree, and then get and you're able to get a good job. Mm-hmm. It's always leading to that good job. And you just stop after that. What happens after you get that good job? No one tells you that it's gonna be like you can be working for forty years, mm-hmm. nine to five, chipping away. You're gonna have a family. You're gonna like you know do this and that, and then like Your then kids, you retire. So they can go to school and they can get a job and repeat the cycle. Yeah, and so, so it like it's so ingrained that like you know you come to expect that like okay for me to do this you, I do have to work that nine to five I to get that education mm-hmm. so I can get that nine to five, and you know. We come to this impasse in American society now where we both, everyone knows that, like, that's not the truth. Like, a lot of times, we go, you finish off your degree, uh, your undergraduate degree, and then you realize, like, the workforce is not there, like they promised. Mm hmm. Like, I also, like, for me, like, I, oh, I worked through my undergrad, you know? Yeah. Like, I, and, you know, it's like you have these stupid jobs that you have, and then, you know, you're working with, like, so, <clears throat> I had this mm-hmm. job when I was leave, living in Texas. I was a caterer. I was a cater waiter. Have I told you the story? Yeah. Yeah, the cater waiter story. So, it's, like, it's me, like, this gangly-ass fucking white dude, like, walking around these, like, wedding events. And, like, 95% of my coworkers were from, like, Central America. Like, like FOB immigrants from, like, Central America. And so, you know, it's just like, and they were like, you know, older, they were older people and, you know, they had this job and they're great. They're, they're very nice about it. Like, they're, well, they're very nice people. You know, they worked really hard and they, I like, I've missed that job sometimes, but like their kids like would work with them. Like it was a family thing, you know, it was ridiculous. Yeah. That's something you don't see a lot in American households. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, back to the or back to the point I was making about, like, how, you know, I was talking to our supervisor, and basically I said to him, you know, like, there's this cultural idea that we have to work in America, but that doesn't exist in other countries like Afghanistan or, you know, Malawi or, or well, I can't speak for Malawi, but I'll speak for Afghanistan and my limited knowledge of what you know, that culture is like. It's like, they don't have this, like... Like, the purpose of life for them isn't to work. It's, I don't know what it is, but it's not to work, you know? It's such an American idea. Like, of course, you know, they do do some work to be able to provide, but, like, their whole aspect is, like, sustainability. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm here to provide for my family, make sure they're all right, send my kids to school, yada, yada, yada. That's a good life. Mm -hmm. There's no, I'm chasing this American dream to get filthy rich, uh, then blow up my money, and then die poor, pitch poor in a pile of dirt in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I don't know, something like that. Whatever the American dream used to be or what it has perceived, it's become a whole story on of its own that, like, yeah. it doesn't translate well to other cultures. Like, they do have the concept of work. It's just not the same as, like, what we view as work. Well, I think, like, uh, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, who is a uh, religious studies she's studying religious studies like right now i think somewhere me how like religion and culture there's not really like a there's not there's there's it didn't used to be so separate you know like these ideas like religious religion is an aspect of culture like kind of this fusion of like you know religion was simply a part of culture yeah you know where but like so you know it's like and like and that blends into like race and ethnicity and everything so it's like you know you ever hear people say oh well you know Judaism isn't a it's not a it's not a race it's a religion but like for the longest time people's you know ethnicity and race was like tied into their religious yeah. beliefs so and far, i think for us in america like our religion is work yeah and you know funny note about that technically Judaism was considered a race up until the 1940s mm-hmm. Like, legit in the United States, there was actually a Supreme Court that determined that uh, court case where, like, Judaism is considered a race. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that is a fun fact. But I think that is true. Like, there is a difference when it comes to, like, how the ability to get to work or begin to work is. Um, 
you know, and another thing that also kind of like ties into that is like how they view like uh, transportation. Like, mm-hmm. one thing that I, I always note and that always comes to me is like, you know, a lot of times, people like the need for people to work near where they live is a necessity, and that shows through our work because a lot of times you're dealing with like poor populations. Uh, and I've worked in, like, not only Refugee Resettlement, but also, you know, uh, high-needs populations all across, like, you know, D.C. and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, with that, I understand, like, the need for a lot of people to be able to get to and from work. You know, sometimes you want to be in an area that's close enough to where you can walk to work. And that saves a lot on, like, child care, um, bus care. So, there's a lot of benefits to a lot of people, but it's also just, like, the need for better public transportation infrastructure. Yeah, and there is like an epistemic gap of like, uh, you know, financial literacy too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know that also has to do with like you know public education indoor like, you know for especially with our clientele they probably never really had to think about it beforehand. Different world in the U.S. The concept of credit, concept of loans, mm-hmm. um, and being able to make payments like, it may sound so simple and like you know second nature to us but for a lot of other people like it is a foreign concept like what do you mean they're gonna give me a, a bunch of money for what and like it, it could be predatory too like you know that's a thing that uh there are these like credit card companies that'll charge like that'll go out to colleges and just be like hey sign up for a free credit card get like this blanket and then it's like Interest rates ridiculously high on those payments because they know they're not going to pay. But anyway, you know, so so basically, employment and refugee resettlement, like as Southerners, you know, I think we have an especially, I guess, unique experience to these kind of things. You know, like well, for us, it's like you know, summer's really freaking hot. You know, I used yeah. to. I used to shovel sand on the golf course in the summer. That was no fun. Oh, yeah. I used to have to work out in the lawns of the cemetery uh, as a grass cutter. So, like, I know when, like, the sun is being down on you. I don't know. What was your... So, like, the messaging for you, like... I'm interested as, like, from, like, uh, being from Southeast Asia and, like, having this... Or having or being, having, being a, a gentleman of Southeast Asian descent... How did your parents treat uh, work, and how did they view work? You know, and not to be like a monolith of like South, uh, South uh, Southeast Asia, but like for you specifically, how did you learn about work? Honestly, it's through my parents. You know, they have that typical immigrant mindset, that typical immigrant story of like coming here, working hard, uh, and building up like their own business and. You know, they will have their kids help work. Of course, that did happen. My parents, or at least my parents, like, instilling the values of good work ethic that mm-hmm. if you want something, you got to work for it. Mm-hmm. And, like, no matter where you're at, especially in America, they made that huge distinction that since you're in America, that you kind of have to work hard mm-hmm. if you ever really want to get anything. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we're providing, we're working hard to provide everything you need so that you can work a little less hard. But still, if you want something even more, you're going to have to work hard on your own for your own family. And, and that, that, gr- and that, that like, yeah, continues kind of on. on that. Yeah. 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 So when a lot of people think about these, you know, typical like immigrant stories, they're thinking back from the ones in the 80s that came in, or 70s or 80s when they came in, and that, you know, they're, these people were already super educated or had money. And these were always viewed as like the, you know, the ideal like immigrant mm-hmm. or the model minority that's the model minority like they basically just are shown as like you know these people worked hard they grew their wealth they were able to make the american dream well in actuality like you chose the people you want to come into the country and these were the ones who had the most amount of money or had like a huge amount of education so they already had a good leg up on the competition i will say my parents did do a lot for like Bhutanese refugees they did come around um, in our area, and shout out to my area for being very diverse. It was actually one of the like most diverse places that I can think of growing up. You know, it really gave me a truly different upbringing, and it's given me a lot of different perspectives on my work as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good stuff. So 
right now we're going to go ahead and take a little break uh, and yeah let you know about our sponsors so here we go we got the sponsorship music this first sponsor for world refugee day our sponsor likes to give a huge shout out to all refugees recovering and making their lives here in america big shout out to lockheed martin if you think refugees Thank Lockheed Martin. We'd also like to shout out all the, or we'd also like to thank our sponsor, Nestle. Nestle, because water is not a human right. All right. Uh, yeah, we got. We can keep doing more of these. I'm trying to think of what else. Um, off the top, off the top of your head, like who are other sponsors? Yeah, dude, I love. Uh, yeah, what's your favorite product? What's your favorite product that Lockheed Martin makes? Honestly, it's gotta be the F-52, like, unmanned drone. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, that thing is awesome. If you are a dictatorial government that needs uh, dissenters, like, suppressed, mm -hmm. contact Lockheed Martin. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you want to keep us employed forever, we recommend that you go to LockheedMartin.com slash Type in, uh, and yeah, go, the, go to the website, buy whatever you want. That should get you about a 20% discount on stock. All views expressed in this podcast are our own. We do not represent any organization, company, or individual political organization. Dude, they find, does like Lockheed Martin like put a bunch of stuff on the new Top Gun movie? That's so funny. Honestly, if you want to talk about big sponsorship, that's like... Big sponsorship right there. Oh yeah, dude! I can't believe we got, I can't believe they sponsored us. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I mean, okay, they... so let's get back to the let's get back to the show. For me, I want to talk about how I learned about work. All right. So like, and again, I don't know if this is specifically like a North Carolina or it's not like a it's not inherent to North Carolina. It's not inherent to Louisiana. But for me, like, both my parents worked like all the time. So my mom, my mom is a my mom has a job. She's a lawyer. She still works. She loves it. And my father has a job. And so they like they would go to work like ten hours a day, and just leave me and my like siblings just like at home while we were at school. So it became like for me like it became very clear that like there's like work is just a thing that is like done. It's just like it's kind of like an innings eater for like time. Yeah. So that's how like I started discovering work, and then I went to yeah I went to college, and um, and you know when I was like off college, I was like working, and I worked through all of my college just because like I had nothing else. I really I felt like I genuinely had nothing else to do. Like the money was nice, but for me like I worked because like I got to fill in your time somehow. Yeah, like, I gotta fill time. I gotta do something. Like, I can't not do anything. You know, I was just getting so goddamn bored all the time. And I think that's, like, how work has been instilled for a lot of people. And, and I think it's, like, also very, like, across generations, too. Uh, you kind of get into that habit, and honestly, that's how I feel, too. Like, even on my days off, it's nice to have a day off, but, like, if I have more than that, like, an extended period off, I'm just like, I can't do this. Like, mm -hmm. there's only a certain amount of Netflix I can watch before I'm just like, I watched it all, even this. Yeah, like, we, but that's kind of like, that's what, like, cultural conditioning will do to you, you know? If, like, your whole life you're told, like, you have to, like, you're working, you, and when you stop working, you have nothing else to do. And for these people, like, they had a different life. They were doing something different, and now they're being told to do what we've been doing our whole lives. And so for people like us, it's so easy to go, it's so easy as for us to just scream like dude just get it like get a job go to work do the things we're telling you to do because we're right and like it's just like for them they don't really they didn't grow up like that you know yeah and it's just like the thing is we also had to explain that to them and kind of and it sounds terrible but we also had to let them know like you kind of have to do this too like, there's no other way around it mm -hmm. and so we basically in that effort of like conditioning people who are not conditioned, you know, essentially we were conditioned at birth. No, I wouldn't say we're at birth. Not at birth, well, but like, you know, we are basically enshrined in this country, especially when we get into school, we kind of like... And like I said earlier, it's about like kind of the, uh, 
like work being America's like religion. Yeah. So like, especially we, growing up, like you see it on movies and TVs, mm-hmm. and, like people work, like that. Like there was no aspect of name like one of your favorite like main characters. Mm-hmm. They worked. They had a job exactly. of some sort. Yeah, like you have like a like even Superman had a job. Yeah, Superman was like a Superman worked at the paper. Like, okay. Side note on this, like, how in the hell does glasses and swooping your hair change your identity? Like this man, like this man, literally is a supposed to be like a weak-ended journalist. Like that man has pecs and broad Ooh. shoulders. Like, how is he supposed to be like a meek? Like journalists from like Nebraska, you know, there is that like, but we're kind of like in a way we're kind of like converting like to get back on top. We're kind of converting these people to our like American religion. Oh, absolutely. So it's like you have to do this like weird evangelical stuff, and then you know you kind of get to this point like you know I'm sure a lot of people get with their own religion where you know you kind of like like to question it. Like I've definitely gotten places where I'm like, fuck, am I working? Like why am I doing this? Honestly, and it, it does come back to like you know. Where, like, you know, we've come to the point where we're just, like, eat the rich. So, like, that's, I feel like that's when we started questioning because we have, like, worked, like, we've seen our parents work their whole lives. Mm-hmm. And for some people, like, they've seen their parents work their whole lives and still not able to, like, stop working. You know, before, the American dream was, like, you're able to work your whole life and then save up for retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the American dream. And then you retire, yeah. And then you spend your golden years doing nothing. Honestly... I find I still find that just kind of hard to believe, especially like in a religious aspect, because it's just like you're telling me I had to spend the prime of my life essentially slaving away mm-hmm. just so I can live the closer end to my life with zero responsibilities. That does not sound right. I want no, to... yeah, like, it's ridiculous. And yeah. I think that's where we're kind of like questioning too. Like we're like we're wasting the prime of our lives. I wouldn't say we're wasting. The no, prime wasting of our it life. like. Especially what we do, I feel like we're kind of, like, really enhancing what we're doing. Oh, yeah, no, I like, really, yeah. But I feel like for everyone else who has no other choice position, work that, you know, shitty job, like McDonald's or... Oh, yeah, don't knock, don't knock that work. Like, exactly. service work is... Service work is important. Like, I have been, I've been in the service industry for years before coming down to this field. And, you know, I always believe that it's the best industry to get into when, like, especially when you're... If it's your first job. Like, oh, my God. I am a firm believer that, like, you know, like, in Europe and, like, South Korea, they have, like, the civil service, like, yeah. student, or mandatory, like, conscription. Like, you, sh- everyone in this country, like, that should be part of mandatory conscription is you have to work in the service industry. Yeah. You have to work with your fellow, like, Americans, serving your fellow Americans. And you understand, like, fellow Americans suck. Like, some of them yeah. are... Absolute godsends. Others are just hell spawn mm-hmm. that the devil doesn't even want. It really teaches you how to deal with people and how to not lose your own cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you know, going back to what we said, we're talking about, like how our like I want to like genuinely ask this question, like, and I do think I know that I have my own answer, but like I do think our job is good. It doesn't. It does more. It's a net positive in the end of yeah. the day, because like again, we're not like. You know, our job isn't giving, you know, rides to old ladies for free. Like, our job is, like, you know, or it's not planting flowers at cemeteries. Our job is, like, you know, there you can make an argument that, like, you know, there are aspects of it which are sort of problematic, you know? Like, kind of, you know, where you kind of have to coerce people maybe into doing something they might not want to do. Yeah. And not, like, basically kind of force them to work something they don't want to do, but... It's honestly just, like, letting them know, like, we have no other options. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you don't like it, but, like, honestly, because, you know, there's a lot of jobs that we all had to do that we didn't really want to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because of circumstance, we had no other choice. And, you know, that's kind of, like, that's what I'm trying to say about the realities of America is that, like, what you think is going to happen in a sense, like, the American, like, entitlement mm-hmm. aspect is not the actual reality. You don't have that luxury. In America, they make that super hard, especially, like, my previous work in North Carolina as a resettlement, agent, in a resettlement agency. Now, up here, the standard of, you know, the minimum wage is higher. The standard of living is higher, but, like, you know, they're at least trying to keep up with the minimum wage. 
North Carolina doesn't like has not increased their minimum wage. It's still the federal seven twenty five. Mm-hmm. Now where we were at, of course, there were places that would pay you more than the minimum wage because it was like a very you know metropolitan city area. So they do have jobs where like you can get paid more, but there's still other jobs where like they only pay seven twenty five. They don't give you. Yeah, and that's why like, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to come down. I don't want to feel like I'm coming down on our job and being like, oh, it's you know, we don't, we you know our job is like kind of like ethically like muddled. It's really not. This is like these are just like thoughts that I have, and I kind of want to do my like, I guess, ethical due diligence with it. Yeah. Yeah, because, but yeah, so, it's just like concerns that we've seen before, and that we feel like it's an issue that we had to address, but it's also just something we have to like might talk about because these things do happen and tend to happen, and just a reality. But I do feel like our job does have its like moments where you know we've you have those moments where like all of it becomes like worth it. Those little moments of like you've actually helped this family out. Um, and get their life back on track, and you know, you know those little moments where like you succeed and actually help and overcome a barrier that like they've always wanted to overcome. Like, getting someone who've always wanted to finish getting their education. You know, those little moments where like you we would take those things for granted because we've gotten them. Other other people who have never had the chance to complete it or get it, being able to get that themselves and be able to fully free to be able to get that is actually truly amazing. I feel like that's the important part of our work is just we're letting these people have their lives back, their humanity back. And that's why I think like this is great to have World Refugee Day, just to show that like these people who have lost their humanity are now finding it back. Exactly. And we're helping people like participate in life in the United States. And that's honestly like really beautiful thing that we get to, that they get to do, you know, you know, that's not something that, and unfortunately that's not something everyone gets, so, yeah, that's why this work's important, because, you know, it's stuff that we do. Yeah. And we, like, it is cool, like, to see, like, how you affect change, because we were talking about this a little bit, but, like, we do kind of, like, we are, like, out here, like, actually affecting, like, progressive change in society. Yeah. But, like, by, like, empower by, like, empowering people. Now, it's very little. Like, it is a drop in a very large bucket, but, like, we're still drop. We're still driven. Yeah. Know? It's kind of more like you're seeing the direct impacts of, you know, actual implementation of policies that are supposed to do good. So, like, like the Russian nesting doll it goes from that big to the small to the small to the small. Mm-hmm. And, like, we're at the bottom towards where we see, like, what the big overall, like, policies has enacted trying to help these people, you know, by giving funding. And then we're right there knowing what the funding should be going to. Mm-hmm. Like, what areas we should be focusing on and, like, what areas we should, like, be helping on. So we're able to see the change more directly. Like I said, that's what makes this job so great. It's just, like, you get, we get to see that. We get to, like, that becomes our little moments where, like, we know that we did a good job, that... What we're doing matters. Mm-hmm. It, like, and again, like it matters to another person. Like, someone like has, like, someone has had a better is having a better life as a direct result of something I've done, and yeah. that makes me really happy. You know, like I can, like we help this person like get their life back on track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're. But again, let's. Uh, there are also, there are also those like, there are also so many cool things I love about like working where we work. The diversity of who we work with. Because when you're working with something, you have a lot of diversity. Because a lot mm-hmm. of people are people who have, like, worked in resettlement or have gone through the resettlement process themselves. And you have a lot of different perspectives, not only from people from different regions. I mean, especially in the area that we're in. Mm-hmm. Like, we have people from all over the country. And not only that, all over the world. Mm-hmm. People who have gone through it. People who have not. And so everyone brings a unique perspective, and then we're all dealing with the same clientele, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that, we all basically have a way just to communicate with each other mm-hmm. of shared experiences. And that's another thing about like commu- the communities I work with is that a lot of them 
the sense of community is strong. It is. And I think that when you have, like, as humanitarian workers, we kind of have, like, that weird, like, we're kind of, like, all bound together by this, like, by the sense that, like, we all kind of care. Yeah. But we all, like, are, again, we're at the spot where we're, like, you know, I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but, like, for me, when it's time to work, it's time to work. Yeah. So, like, I'm going to work, I'm going to work uh, my proverbial ass off for these clients, and I'm so happy I get to do that. Yeah. You know? Like, I put my effort. My full effort into helping out every single one of my clients and, you know, it's making sure that I do my best to get where I need them to be at. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool, like, you know, because we pull from all over the United States, but I feel like the South is kind of, like, underrepresented. The crazy thing is the amount of, you know, refugees that get resettled in the South. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, like, uh, a lot of, like, again, like, immigrants come to this country, they come everywhere, you know, yeah. like, you know, just this, like, to wrap up, like, I remember I was, uh, I was playing, I played basketball growing up, as you know, uh, and I remember we had this, like, everyone's ever playing against this team who had this, like, this Sudanese dude, and he was just, and they were like, were you, were you like a... And like that, I didn't realize it till later. It was like, oh, that guy was a refugee, like, you know, out here playing basketball. And you know, that's it's pretty cool, like how, you know, you don't even really know that they're with you. But again, like I feel like in the South, you know, the workers. I feel like because like again, we like we've talked about we've talked about this before, but like there is like there is like still like de facto segregation in the South. But I think I would say. In these days, like, it's becoming more and more of a money thing than what? a racial thing. Now, the racial thing, the history, it's still, still very much ingrained in how people talk, think, and act. Exactly. But I think that the stratification we're seeing now is being reified by uh, financial things, which have, which again, like, there is, like, racism embedded in those institutions, but they then... But basically, you know, the I heard a sociology professor say this one time. It's like the color of the twenty first century isn't black or white; it's green. So I think as you keep seeing the economic disparity between people in the South in terms of segregation, you're going to see it more with like refugee populations kind of falling into those like unfortunately have nots. And I think that you know, as people who've seen who who've like come uh, from the South and seen how these things have kind of you know, transpire not to say it's like horrible because like there are like you know they're they're like very well like racially integrated communities in the south like like yours for example yeah. but again it, it doesn't really disqualify the racism there oh but, no 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 i don't i didn't mean like, to like at but all. no 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 like because uh my prep school was also like across the street from it was a house and always flown a huge confederate flag 24 7 so you know going to school every single day you see that flag you're kind of reminded of it and that also kind of it also brings up like we've also learned in uh back then like the reason why our schools existed was because of segregation and all that but aside from that i feel like you know it really is kind of coming down through class struggles because i've seen no black and white people both you know we're both getting screwed over here mm-hmm. and again and then i'm seeing the flip let's move on to burnt ends uh let's go for burnt ends burnt ends man uh this is a good first episode i'm like i feel like we kind of got a we got a lot out of each yeah. other like we had a nice talk but also like i felt like i was uh we got, i felt like i was talking too much or i was like using too many filler words when i was talking i felt like i was also talking too much i feel like we did not crack enough jokes but again, it's all about like. I mean, you're not like we're not advertising this as like a comedy podcast. You know, we don't need people to be. We don't need to be like a. We're not like. We don't need to be. We don't need to be funny for the show to do well. Yeah. But you know, I feel like we were just going on way too serious of a conversation, not talking about like more of deeper societal issues. Oh no, and I think we can, but I think we can get to that like lighthearted yeah. thing. Like again, there are clients we have. You know, who yeah. are, who we could tell humorous anecdotes about, like Mr. X, who uh, 
who uh, and you you already know exactly yeah. who I'm talking about. Like we all <laughs> we all know what we're talking about. But dude's got and like all the H. Yeah. <laughs> that's just another thing that I think is like another cultural difference. It's just the amount like birth control. Mm-hmm. Like. This is also crazy, too, because this used to be an American, like, thing, too. Like, you would have a shit ton of kids. Mm-hmm. Again, the whole process that, like, you're hoping that at least a couple of them will make it to adulthood. Well, you know, like, uh, that's, like, why people, like, had so many kids in the beginning. Because, like, it was just agriculture. It's, like, more farmhands. Not only that, it's also just, like, more babies means at least more chances of one of them growing up. And one of them growing up, too. Actually make it to adulthood. And, and work have their, on the farm. Not only work on the farm, but have their own family, and have those kids work on the farm. There it is. Yeah, dude. But, like, yeah, so, they completely, like, and childcare is just completed. Oh, my so, God. We, that's, a, that's another episode, so, dude, so. But, yeah, this has been a great episode. I feel like we have a lot of things we can talk about. I mean, this is, like, the this is a good starting point for the show. Yeah, and then we, yeah, I feel like we have a good starting point where we can just kind of tweak what we have here so far. And just add in and take out what we see. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, subscribe to our show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, like to thank our sponsors, Nestle and Lockheed Martin, uh, for sponsoring World Refugee Day. And yeah, guys, just check them out. Um, promo code was Southern Fries. Yeah. And disclaimer, Lockheed Martin and Netflix are not actual official sponsors. Yeah, so. just to make that like very like uh, very clear. Um We do not want to get sued. Mm-hmm. Well, we no, this is parody, this is a joke. Like, you know, it's a it's a it's a gen it's a valid criticism of those companies oh, yeah. in form of parody. Exactly. But yeah, y'all come back now, you hear?